0: Hi, I'm Dan and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at LifeChurchUtah.com. How important is the Church of Jesus Christ? Well, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18: I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that kind of definitive word. You know, there is nothing more permanent than something that God has established. When God establishes a thing, it makes it permanent. You never have to worry about that. It's it's a said and a done deal. And that's what it is with the church, the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the body of Christ who are all of those of varying denominations who have made Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of their lives. If you have done that, you are a part of his church, his universal church. And Jesus said with confidence, the gates of hell will never prevail or win against you. You are a part of a conquering organization. Now, the true church isn't built upon a man. The true church is not built upon man's ideas. The true church is built on Jesus Christ. It has never needed to be restored because it never ceased to exist. It wasn't established through the power of a man, it was established upon the blood of Jesus Christ, and that blood gives the church staying power. When Jesus said that the gates of hell would never prevail against his church, what he was declaring is that his church would never cease to be. There have been times when the organized church in varying countries, has had to morph, has had to change, has even ceased to be in the sense of organization because of laws and regulations in countries. But the church is not an organization. The church is in the heart of God's people. And no law can stop that church from existing. That's the power of Jesus' words right there. Now, I'll tell you, when I was younger... I didn't understand that. Even as a young adult, I didn't fully understand that. I had a visual idea of what the church was, but that idea was frankly wrong. To me, I saw the church kind of being beaten down. I saw the the gates of hell kind of bashing again. You know, I looked at that verse, I saw the gates of hell bashing kind of against the church and smashing us down. Now, I knew the church would, would... would survive because Jesus promised that it would survive in that that verse right there. But I didn't see the church as victorious. But then I took time to read Matthew 16, 18 more carefully, and I noticed something. It's not the gates of hell that are advancing against the church. It is the church that is advancing against the gates of hell. It's not the armies of hell that are winning, it's the army of God, his church, and his church is going to prevail in 2018. And it's happening all over the world today. In fact, the fastest growing church in the world is the church in China. It's hard to get concrete numbers from there because everything's underground, basically. Because basically, it's in a region that is strictly regulated. It's a country that, by and large, the true church, the evangelical church, certainly is outlawed. But the latest statistics that I've heard estimate that over 25,000 people every day are coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in Red China, in China today. And you know it's happening all over the Muslim world today in the face of the hearth harshest persecution that you can imagine. Precious Muslim people are giving their lives to Christ in numbers that we have never seen in our lives before. And that's the power of God to build his church. That's why I love the church. And I believe And a great harvest of souls is also coming to the United States of America. I believe God is not done with the United States of America. I believe that he's going to answer the prayers that we have been giving for decade after decade for a revival move of his spirit upon our nation and upon our people. And I believe that he's going to send his spirit and we're going to see our neighbors who are closed, perhaps, right now, open up to his message. We're going to see spouses who are closed open up to his message. We're going to see rebellious and wayward kids open up to the marvelous message that drugs are not the answer and promiscuity is not the answer. But Jesus is the answer to the heart's cry that they have. I love God's church. I love the church of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world. But I have to tell you, I'm not a part of the church in the whole world. I mean, I'm a part of it spiritually, but I don't get to Madagascar very often. As we saw in the video this morning. I, 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 I love what God's doing in Madagascar. I love what God's doing throughout Africa. It's incredible, the revival that's hitting Africa. But you know what? I love what God's doing right here. Locally in Salt Lake City at Life Church in our church. And today I want to talk with you for just a couple of minutes about why I love our church. And I hope it'll help you to see clearly where God's taking us, where I believe the Lord is directing us for 2018. First of all, I would say this I love our vision. I love our church because of its vision. Life Church is a church of great vision. We aren't content to sit back and watch our lost world spiral into a Christless eternity. We have a vision to reach men, as many people as we can and to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And because of that vision, Life Church is involved in reaching the world. Do you know that for the last five or six years, this congregation, just this congregation, has given financially above its tithe Over $400,000 every year to reach the world with the gospel, to send missionaries out into the world and reach those people in Madagascar and other parts of the world. I'm thankful that we are a church of great vision. Jesus gave us our vision, told us what it should be in Matthew 28. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a pastoral staff, we have taken those verses seriously, and we have basically broke the challenge of those verses down into four parts and four ways that we feel like God is challenging us with that particular vision. Number one... We want to see God reach people through dynamic worship, dynamic. We experienced that earlier in the service this morning. When you enter the doors of this church, we want your, that you would be inspired. We want you to be lifted up through the worship that you hear, through the songs that you sing, We want to reach out to you virtually and and grab your attention off of the problems that you have in your life because we've all got them and onto the greatness of the God that you serve that can meet those issues and those problems. And that's the reason we worship the way we do. That's the reason we have the songs that we have. That's the reason why we have the instruments that we have. That's the reason why we have the environment that we have. It's because we want to move you away from your issues and on to the Christ who is the source of your help. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that every one of us is in a war. Did you know that? It's a spiritual war. It's a battle for your faith. And your enemy is Satan himself. Look at what he says here. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So there's an array of evil all under the direction of Satan himself that we are battling against. Sometimes it can seem like flesh and blood is our problem. That is people who are our problem. I once heard somebody say, I'd love, I'd love, the, I'd love the church, If it just weren't for the people. But the people are the church. But we understand what he's talking about. We've all had conflict with people from time to time. Outside the church and even inside the church. It happens in human relationships. But the reality is, what we're really fighting is not flesh and blood. We're fighting the enemy, Satan himself. He's got to be our focus, and this is a very real battle. And that's why Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter six to fight the good fight of faith. You see, every day, you're going to have to fight for your faith, did you know that? Every day, the enemy is going to try to destroy what you believe, destroy your faith. He's going to try to discourage you. He's gonna try to pull you away from God. But when we come together on Sundays, we're going to drive a stake through the heart of our enemy and and joyfully and expressively sing our praise unto our God and, and fight victoriously for the faith that he has given us. Amen, church? This is what we're going to be as a people of God. We're going to have joyful and dynamic worship. Secondly, through relevant preaching. We want you to walk out of our services having experienced the presence of God. But we also want you to walk out of our services with a strong grasp of the truth of God's word that you can build your life upon. One thing that I have learned is that a great experience isn't enough. A positive experience is a wonderful thing. I just got done saying we want to have that but experience by itself doesn't last. Experience will fade. You need more than emotions to live victoriously. You need the power of the word of God settled deep in your heart. That's what you stand upon. That's what will get you through those tough times. David said in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love how the Message Bible puts that. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Isn't that a good way of thinking about it? What a powerful translation. That's what we want for you as a church, to have a heart that is full of God's word and of God's promises that will help you stand strong when you face the battle that you're going to face in 2018. And every one of us will face a battle or two in 2018. You've got to have the strength of the Word of God to see you through those times. Number three, through great God encounters. We don't want to just talk about Jesus. We want you to experience Jesus. And so we're going to start taking the time for you to meet with God and encounter him fresh in your life every week. We've always had that as a focus. We're focusing on it even more so. You know, I was thinking about a man in the Old Testament by the name of Job. He was a righteous man, the Bible tells us. But he faced unbelievable trials. Don't assume that because you're living for God uh, fully that you'll never experience a trial. You will experience a trial no matter What? Because you live in a cursed world. For Job, he lost his wealth. And it was considerable. For Job, he lost his family. For Job, he lost his health. But you know, the Bible says he never lost his integrity. And when God restored him, this is what Job said about the experience and what that experience taught him in Job 42, verse 5. He said... I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. That's what every one of us have got to have as God's people. Not just a godly heritage, not just hearing from somebody else, not just even a great environment. We've got to have a personal God encounter in our lives. And that's our goal in 2018, to create The opportunity for each of you to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, not a religion, not a a, a religious system, but the great God of the universe who loves you with an everlasting love. I want you to walk out of here having touched God, the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ. Number four, through an exciting atmosphere. You know that every church has an atmosphere? For that matter, every human being does. There's an atmosphere about them, and people pick up on it. You can tell what's going to happen in a particular church by the atmosphere when you enter the building. You can feel it. You can sense it. It's either an atmosphere of faith and power, or it's an atmosphere that's void of God's presence. And you and I, every week, decide what the atmosphere will be in the service that we attend. Not the pastors, all of us together decide. You say, well, how is that? It's by what you give to it. It's by what you bring into it. If you walk into this place and you're just a spectator, you will diminish the power of God's presence certainly in your life and maybe in the lives of people around you. You'll diminish his power to save. You'll diminish his power to heal. You'll diminish his power to deliver. But if you and I walk into this place with the spirit of anticipation, we will be absolutely shocked and amazed at what we will see God do. I read about a young man who went to a fortune teller. I would not recommend it. But he went to a fortune teller and she looked at his hand and told him, You will be poor and completely miserable until you are 41 years old. And the young man said, Then what? Will I be rich? No, she said, You will become so accustomed to your poverty that you won't care anymore. Some churches are so accustomed, some people in some churches are so accustomed to their spiritual poverty that they don't even notice anymore. It's the norm. But we are not going to be that way, church, amen? We're going to create an expectation, an atmosphere of expectation that says, Lord, I believe. You've got something special for me, and I claim it in Jesus' name. It's the spirit of Jacob when he was wrestling with the angel of God. And the angel of God said, let me go, the daylight is breaking. And Jacob said unto that angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said, okay, your name is no longer Jacob, but now it's Israel, and that's where the name Israel comes from. It's God changing Jacob's name and blessing him with all the favor that is associated with that name. You and I have got to come in with a certain level of determination and of spiritual warfare that says, God, I'm going after what you've got. I'm not interested in last week's experience. I'm not interested in what just somebody else has told me. I've got to see you with my own eyes. Hallelujah. I want to experience you in my life and that's our vision for 2018. And if you love your church, I'm asking you to pray and to seek God for us to see those things happen among us in 2018. So I love our vision. Secondly, I love our fellowship. What I mean by that is you. You're the fellowship. I love you. We love one another. This is more than just a formal religious gathering service. This is a gathering of the family of God. We belong to one another. We are committed to one another. We love each other. Now, that word family, one of the pictures that God uses to help us understand what we are to be in his church is, in scripture, is the word family, or is the idea of family. The church is a family. I like that picture about what the church is supposed to be. I can understand that picture. I've been in a family all of my life. I've had parents. I've had siblings. I have a wife. I've had daughters. I've had a family. I know what a family is. I understand what being a part of a family is all about. So what does it take to make a family work? Because we all know that a lot of families don't work. Many families don't work. What does it take to make a family work? Three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, it takes a commitment to one another. You don't bail out at the first sign of bad news or of something that you don't care about or something that you don't like. You stay committed. There's a commitment to one another. This is my church. I'm committed to this church. I love my church. Carrie and I have been married for 45 years. How did that happen? A lot of counsel on my part. (laughs) Now some people will say, oh it's just because you guys were perfect for one another. Oh, absolutely not. It's taken a commitment to one another to work through the tough times to make it work. You guys understand that. That's what it takes to make a marriage work. God says to us in Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. I heard someone say once, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That is true. You are born into a family, and you are a brother, a sister, a son, or a daughter of someone, a parent to someone, whether you want to be or not. You you are. You're a part of that family. That's true. You can't choose your family. So, that being the case, how do we make the family work? If the church is a family, how do we make the family work? You stay committed to them. In fact, it's interesting here that the word devoted, given to us in God's word in this verse, means in the literal Greek, having family affection. That means loving people when they're not always lovable. How many of you are always 24-7 lovable? You always are, okay. Jeanette Almond is, right? So we'll ask Brad about that later. Find out if that's true. You set yourself up for that one, sis. Shouldn't have raised your hand. We're going to be checking on her every moment of every day. I want you folks to keep your eye on that woman because she's always lovable. And we're going to find out if that's true or not. Well, none of us are always lovable, and I know Jeanette was just kidding. None of us are always lovable. But being devoted to one another means that you are committed to each other when we're not even lovable. The only way I know how to do that is through the truth of the last sentence of that verse where, he's, where Paul says honor one another above yourselves. That literally means to consider others better than yourself. That's a tough one. It's easy to say, it's very hard to do. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to make that happen. But loving others above yourself. You know, it would be amazing how much conflict would be avoided if we actually did that. Number two, you've gotta forgive one another. Carrie and I have had to forgive each other a bunch of times in these 45 years. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. The Greek word here we translate forgive is the same word as we get the word grace from. Did you know that? So it means be gracious to one another. Well, what does does grace actually mean? Grace is not getting what you deserve, but getting what you don't deserve. Not getting what you deserve, but getting what you don't deserve, that's what grace is. Now in terms of relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, you don't get judgment, the judgment you deserve because of your sin, but in its place, you get what you don't deserve, which is God's forgiveness, and ultimately eternal life. Now I know when people hurt you, it's easy, it's it's hard, rather, to, to let go of that hurt, To let go of that pain. But it only destroys you if you hang on to unforgiveness. Forgiveness is the fastest way to heal your own spirit. Maybe you want to write that down. Forgiveness is the fastest way to heal my spirit. And to keep things right between you and God. Number three, rejoice when others win. Romans 12, 15 says... Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now, I didn't bring the mourning mourning part in there because I think we're really good at that. Most of us, when others are hurting, are good at grieving with them, hurting with them, mourning with them. And, And our hearts go out to people going through a really difficult time. So it seems like when others are hurting, it's easy to try to comfort them, and that's, and that's an important thing to do. That's, that's a vital thing to do. But sometimes we do it with an attitude that kind of says, boy, I sure am glad it's them and not me. But rejoicing when others succeed or when others win can be tough because we wonder why we're not the one winning. When they succeed in an area we haven't, It can be tough to rejoice with them because it gets down to the core of our own self-esteem. And what happens is jealousy can enter into our spirits. Here's what I want you to understand. When you rejoice with others, when they win, when they succeed, it sets you up for God's blessings. God is testing you. If in your Downtime. If in your pain you will rejoice when someone else succeeds and is blessed, God is testing you. And if you will do that, it'll set you up for blessings, his blessings in your life. But if you get jealous, it will absolutely sabotage those blessings in your life. So this morning, if if you know that you're struggling over someone else's blessing, here's what you got to do. You got to confess it as sin because that's what it is. You bring it to God, ask Him to change you, to forgive you, and to change you, and to give you a rejoicing spirit, and then begin to rejoice with them and pray for God's continued blessing in their lives, and you will be the winner in the end if you do that. Now, the third thing I love about Life Church is. Our message. I love our message. And our message really is a simple message. It's the one the Apostle Paul preached and taught. First Corinthians two, he says, Dear brothers, even when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided that I would speak only of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling, and my preaching was, never, was very plain, not with a lot of oratory and human wisdom, but the Holy Spirit's power was in my words, proving to those who heard them that the message was from God. I did this because I wanted your faith to stand firmly upon God and not on man's great ideas. That's the message that we love. It's the message of the cross. And if you come to this church, you're not gonna hear great oratory. It's gonna be plain. It's gonna be delivered in weakness. But you know what, I think that's the way God wants it. Because that means the results are his. They're from him, not from us manipulating people. That's why verse five is basically saying, that's what verse five is saying. Paul said that he preached himself this way because he wanted our faith to stand firmly upon God and not man's great ideas. Over in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's our simple message. The gospel. Over the last number of weeks, I've shared with you what the word gospel means. It literally means the good news. That's our message, is the good news that the sin that is destroying you can be conquered. That the separation that you have from God can be bridged. The gulf between you and him can be healed. That's the good news. And we're not ashamed of that good news because it still works. In fact, well, not only did it work 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing these words and preaching himself, but it still works today. You're in a room today filled with people for whom the gospel has worked. There are hundreds of people around you who once were away from God, but today they're saved and their lives are transformed. Many of us in this room have been physically healed because of the power of the gospel message to heal. Many of us in this room have been set free from the devastating effects of sin. In fact, scores of people in this room have been set free from the strongholds of drugs and, and a life of addiction and alcohol and all forms of addiction. And I just, want you to, I just want to end today by saying the gospel still works. Jesus is still changing lives. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. Now here is the simple truth of how you get this good news to start working in your life. It comes out of the writings of one of Christ's apostles, a man by the name of John. And in the first chapter of 1 John, his letter called 1 John, and the ninth verse, this is what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's step one into a new gospel life, into a changed life. That's what I love about our church is we're not afraid to say that. We're not afraid to declare the truth that a relationship with God is not gleaned or secured through membership in a church. We have membership in this church, but it's not what saves you. It doesn't happen by being baptized in water. Biblically, water baptism is is a testimony to other people of the salvation that's already come into your life. uh, Baptism doesn't save you, it's just a testimony. So we baptize but we do it as a public expression and testimony of what Christ has done for us. You aren't saved by giving a certain amount of money or signing on a dotted line. No, it all comes, it starts right here. It grows from there, but it starts right here. Confessing, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm tired of the old. I wanna make 2018 a different year. Than 2017 was. And I want to live it for your glory. And if you'll do that, He will respond to you and you'll become born again into His kingdom. Hallelujah. And that's what I love about the Church of Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at Life Church Utah dot com.